0: Thank you for joining the Doctor Whisper. I am your host Sharon Feckety, and I am happy to bring you a show where we talk about the business of medicine. I hope that you enjoy it. Please feel free to share, subscribe, and pass it on. Enjoy the show. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the show. My name is Sharon Feckety. I am your host, and I'm so happy to have Doctor Jody Larman here with us today. And I don't always read bios, but I want to make sure that. I give you a little insight before I introduce Dr. Larman, so you have an understanding of who she is before we get started, because this is a really um, incredible woman who ha- who I found on TikTok, okay? So like people, it's time to get on TikTok, enough already. But um, Dr. Larman is a licensed clinical psychologist in the state of Florida. Um, California. California. Did I say Florida? Yeah, sorry. <laughs> Um, and I have it written down, of course, California. Um, wrote a book called The Diary of a Young Widow, which I'm so excited to read. Uh, Dr. Larman recently retired after 13 years as a clinician with the California Department of Corrections and Rehabilitation. Currently works as a part time clinician with Happier Living in California and utilizes an eclectic approach, which I love, that focuses mainly on cognitive behavior. Therapy and believes in a holistic mind-body approach to better physical and mental well-being. With that said, Dr. Larman, welcome to the show.
1: Welcome. Thank you so much for having me.
0: Well, I'm so happy that you're here today, and I'm so happy that you're on TikTok. You have about 8,000 followers, which is incredible. Over 61,000 people have liked your videos, so... Please give the audience just a little um, background of like why you decided to join this wonderful world of TikTok, and then we'll, we'll dive in a little bit more to your career in psychology.
1: Well, once I retired from the state, I wanted to, my passion really is psychoeducation, public speaking, kind of less therapy, but more about getting people into mental health and reducing the stigma of mental health and teaching them about the mind body connection. So once I retired, um, one of my colleagues was on TikTok cause she wrote a book and she was promoting it. And she asked me to do a live with her. And so we did a live, it was two and a half hours. It got thousands and thousands of views and she got thousands of followers. And she said, you need to get on TikTok. Mm-hmm. And I was like, isn't TikTok for kids? I think I'm a little old for it. And she's like, no, you gotta get on TikTok. And at least we can do lives together. So you have to have a thousand views to get lives. I'm like, what am I, what am I going to do on TikTok? I don't, I'm too old. And then I thought, well, I can do what I do. And that's psychoeducation and talking about different areas of psychology and working in the prison and mind body health and narcissists and on and on and on because it's limitless actually.
0: And you just said something so. I mean, I hear this all the time. As soon as I tell any of the clinicians that I work with, you got to get on TikTok, they go, I don't know how to dance. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, it's, it's, it's almost the same cycle, right? Like everybody says about every platform, like, I'm too, I'm too old for Instagram, I'm too old for Snapchat, I'm too old for TikTok, <laughs> or I'm, you know, and I'm like, yeah, I, I, I felt the same way, but I, I got to say, TikTok got me through the pandemic. Yeah, so did therapy, <laughs> right? And my twelve-step program. But <laughs> TikTok was huge. It was a great source of entertainment, but also a great new way of delivering information. And I'm so so grateful that you are on that platform and that you are helping so many people. It really is such a gift to all of us. So I want to make sure that you know that and that I say that publicly.
1: That I hope you never stop. Thank you. I have the most amazing followers. And I don't like using that word followers. I know that's the word they use, but it sounds kind of, I like people who watch my videos and the comments 99.999% have been so amazing and positive. And I have had people actually direct message me saying that because of my videos, because of my lives, because they asked me a question, they've actually decided to go to therapy or they will send, you know, send me comments about, you know, or questions about narcissists or their relationship. And I always say, I cannot do therapy over TikTok, but I can provide you advice and education. And I always direct them to therapy, always direct them to therapy. And I've put some videos because people have asked me, well, what if you don't have insurance? And so I've put videos up about where you can get Resources um, such as the National Institutes of Mental Health, um, and and find ways of getting therapy when you don't have insurance.
0: Absolutely. So let's talk a little bit about um, this incredible career that you had with the Department of Corrections and Rehabilitation. I mean, it was a men's prison, correct? Yes. Yes. So what? Um, just tell us what that would like, because it really is. I told my husband before he went to work, he was like, oh my God, in California, where, what did you, what? like he was so interested because it really is like, it's fascinating to hear that you could work in a place where some people might view it as like, you know, the dregs of society, but these are all yeah. people that need help, yeah. that need guidance. So tell us a little bit about that career.
1: Well, I had, I actually had some people say to me, you know, are you proud of what you do working in a prison with inmates? And I said, yeah, yeah. I said, if nothing else, my being there clinicians being there and helping the inmates with their mental health is going to hopefully help them and then help them not hurt others, help them not hurt themselves. And so if I'm only at least keeping people safe, while they're there and hopefully there are those that are doing a really, really good job working the program, then yeah, I do feel proud of what I do. Um, I started working there October 1st of 2007 and I had some history and background of prisons but I had never been like really inside of a prison. So it was kind of like this little city within a city. It was very interesting and I know it's a place where a lot of people are curious about but don't wanna go there to find out. Um, And I've worked in every area of the prison. We were a reception center where all of the inmates from the county were processed through our institution. So I did um, assessments for mental health at the time, assessments for mental health and assessments for developmental disabilities. Mm -hmm. And then I worked in our um, more severely mentally ill program for seven years and moved to our crisis bed, which is the most severe. It's the suicidal, homicidal and gravely disabled inmates go. And when there's, if they're not stabilized, they'll move on to, it used to be called state hospital. Now they call it psychiatric inpatient or prison inpatient. I never understood the, it's called PIP. Mm -hmm. And then I went to work for our lowest level of care, um, which was called triple CMS, clinical correctional, correctional clinical case management. And those were the guys that honestly, a lot of them were really working the program and really making progress. And you really started seeing differences. Um, A lot of these guys, contrary to what people think, a lot of them will go home Mm -hmm. and will get the opportunity to go home. So we kind of helped them. I ran a parole group because I would tell them, you have the resources from being in here. You custody gives you, your counselor gives you all those resources, but what's gonna go on in here? Because the mindset from prison to out on the streets isn't addressed and it hadn't been addressed. And so I asked, I said, I wanna do a group of guys that are gonna parole and try to get them as ready mindset wise as I can. And there's, I guess the only way of measuring success is you don't see them again, or you hope you don't see them again, that they actually stay out. But we would work on what are the plans when you get out and what have you learned here that you can now transfer out there for a successful parole and successfully staying out on the streets once you're out. Um, from there, I went to our administration, administrative segregation, which was like the prison within the prison. If they got into any trouble or anything, they were sent there. Hmm. And that's well, when I retired.
0: Well, you put in you put in your 13 years. That's a, that's a long time to provide that amazing, incredible, much needed service. Um, yeah. Being somebody who's in, in sober, myself for 26 years of course I have met my fair share of people coming out of prison um coming I myself spent a night in jail many many years ago it was you know uh, certainly not a place that I ever wanted to go never thought I would end up um but I really and truly believe uh, that there is redemption and people can mm-hmm. change and it's so unfortunate there's already so much stigma when it comes to mental health and addiction and um depression and anxiety but when you have also done time, you know, this. it's just so hard to break through and allow other people to understand that most of the time there are substances involved when people are committing a crime or there's abuse or there are a million things that you would know better than me. Um, and I've had the great pleasure of being able to see people come out and change and, and get yeah. help and thrive but it, it takes people like you that are inside of the system to to really show people that there's hope and give them the tools um, that are not just you know talk therapy, but this holistic mind body approach. And you know we always see in all the movies when it comes to prison, everybody out in the yard and they're working out. But I'm quite sure that you talked or still talk today about the importance of exercise.
1: Oh yes. Um... When we were, for whatever reason, under lockdown and the lockdowns lasted a few days for, I understand the safety aspects and the custody aspects, but for mental health aspects, it was always hard when people were locked down for days and we would try as best as we can because yes, getting out, getting exercise, releasing those endorphins, getting 20 minutes of natural sunlight, it's so important. So It was kind of a battle between, we know what's right mentally and emotionally for these guys, but we also know that there might've been a riot and they locked down the institution or the coronavirus, you can't let everybody out. So it's trying to also maintain their mental stability in a little whatever cell at the same time. So it's challenging, It, it is difficult. But then when they get to get outside in the sun and get some exercise, it's always, you know, they're all out there. They're all doing their thing. Everybody's happy. Yeah. Always a relief. So important. So I
0: want to switch gears a little bit because I have been down your rabbit hole. I've joined some of your lives on TikTok. Oh, thank you. Yeah. And um, I love how you talk so much about narcissism. So I'm very interested as to why you talk so much about narcissism. I dated somebody that was a narcissist, so I'm familiar in not the great way, um, many, many, many years ago. And I really do think that it is a huge topic and, and so many people need to be aware of the signs of a narcissist. So tell us why you started talking so openly about narcissism. <sighs>
1: Well, for one, it is, and people do not understand the mental abuse of a narcissist is horrible. It's awful. It has driven people that I know suicidal. So I have the unfortunate uh, experience of being in a relationship with a narcissist, even psychologists can sometimes miss the yeah. signs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, actually my clinician friends that knew this person said that they were actually Asperger's mm-hmm. and Asperger's and narcissism in initially kind of mirror them because the social awkwardness, the inability to connect the dis- disconnect sometimes, but narcissists are doing it on purpose. Whereas Asperger's are not, they don't mean to hurt you. They don't really know. So for years, I would excuse everything that he did is okay, he's Asperger's. But once I learned, the mask fell off, and I saw the narcissism, the narcissism that was truly there. It was like, okay, eyes open. What did I miss? How did I miss? Why did I miss all that? And I know after I left him, I had to go to therapy. And I questioned my own, I must be a horrible clinician if I couldn't even diagnose it in my partner. So I thought, and then i had a lot of friends going through the same thing and, I, and they kept telling me you need to talk to people you need to tell people you need to do a podcast you need to get somewhere and talk about this and so i thought that it's way more common than i ever imagined i had my postdoc i had a narcissistic client i've had narcissistic clients in the past that i thought i i could get it i could understand it so in posting these i wanted to do them in the most educational but also Time limited, attention span limited. How am I going to get them to listen with a little bit of humor? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's amazing, like literally amazing to me how many comments that I got of, "Oh my gosh, you know, thank you for putting this on. Now I know." Or, "What do I do from this point?" So then I'll add a new um, to a new video. But Double gaslight
0: signs. We interrupt this awesome podcast to share with you about our sponsor, Thai Technology. Thai Technology was founded with the thought that every customer deserves exceptional customer services. So if you know of any company that has a phone system where the auto attendant doesn't really sound good, you press one and you think you're going to go to a live person, but you end up with a broken recording... It's probably time that you call Thai Technology. And if you mention this podcast, you will get the first three months for free. So make sure you mention the Doctor was for a podcast show. Check them out. Yeah, what are some of the signs of a of a narcissist?
1: You know, the interesting thing is they will tell you who they are when you're first with them. But because they're these wonderful people, they mirror, they pay attention and they listen to what they think you need and then they'll mirror that but they mirror it where it's not so perfect so you're not like okay this is too good to be true but it's like wow you know this is kind of what I've been looking for he's a really nice guy or she's a really nice person um, and then they'll throw in things like oh my ex is their psycho you know and my ex showed me a text from his ex that was like wow this this person is crazy Mm -hmm. but didn't show me the text leading up to and the actions leading up to that text Mm -hmm. now I know you know I understand better why she texts that. but but they will do things like that but frame it in a way that you kind of go like my ex would say to me oh I'm really not a nice guy and I'm like yes you are you you're amazing Mm -hmm. but they do that so that later on you're kind of going how did I miss it you didn't really miss it. You just chose to see the good part of it. So gaslighting, when you start to feel like, am I, when you're questioning and second guessing yourself, like they'll say something, my ex would say to me, I have an appointment at 10 o'clock. And then at 9.30, I'll hear him say, yeah, I can work overtime. No worries, I have nothing to do. And I'm like, wait, didn't you just say you had an appointment at 10? He's like, I don't, I didn't say that. Why were you listening to my phone call? i'm like well i mean you were sitting right here and then they start they turn it on you a lot of circular speaking to where by the end of it you're like okay i guess i did do something wrong yeah you definitely... maybe i did mishear you mm-hmm. so the gaslighting is a big one deflecting if you call them on like i thought you said you would be here and you weren't they will deflect mm-hmm. it's never them mm-hmm. it's always you no matter what Or if it is them, I did it because you made me do it. I didn't want to do that, but you, you led me no choice. So I think one of the biggest signs is when you really start to question your sanity and you will in the beginning, Mm -hmm. but they'll do stuff that makes you be like, oh, okay, this is all good. So gaslighting, deflecting, mirroring. Um, I'm sure there's a lot more, yeah. but right now, yeah.
0: Yeah, <laughs> Those I are remember the big ones. my ex saying to me, um, he used to tell me that I was very insecure. He was he was cheating on me. Yeah, of course. So, <laughs> right. So he used to tell me, <laughs> it's comical now, not so funny then.
1: That yeah, he
0: used to say, um, you're very insecure and you might want to talk to somebody about that because you question everything that I do. And I would say, Well, no. And I remember so vividly, I'd be like, no, you you told me you would be home Friday and you would call me at eight. And then I called you and you didn't answer. And then I didn't hear from you until Saturday. You see what I mean about your insecurity? (laughs) I started, I really did. I started to really believe that. So
1: it's
0: very scary what they can do. Very manipulative.
1: Oh, extremely manipulative. And they also want the attention. Like my ex would come home. And if I didn't run down the stairs and, oh, you're home, he would be like, really? That's how you're going to greet me? And I'm like, you're here. All What am I supposed to do? Um, they will also like one time he fell asleep. He took a nap. And so I'm like, okay, I'll let him rest. And I went upstairs, folded laundry. I come downstairs, check on him. Like an hour later, he's packing up his stuff. And I'm like, what are you doing? He's like, well, if you're not going to pay any attention to me. And you're gonna leave me here, why am I staying? And I'm like, you were sleeping, what? Yeah, drama, they will create drama. Mm -hmm. If there is no drama, they will create drama. Yeah. Um, My ex would be on the computer for hours trying to find his password Mm -hmm. and he would start cussing and yelling. And I'm like, your password right here? What are you typing? You wrote this password, it's lowercase. Why do you keep putting it uppercase? And of course it's the computer's fault, it's the password's fault, it's everything's fault and it's drama and then it turns into, I actually recorded, I don't know why, but I recorded one of our discussions. Mm. And after we split up, I listened to the recording and I was like, why? The whole time I'm trying to convince him and he's in a whole other yelling at me, telling me something else and I'm saying, why don't you just listen to what I'm saying? And I listened to this video and it, or audio and it was 30 minutes long. And I thought, what? How did I get so wrapped up? Because listening to it, I should have walked out in mm-hmm. the initial and not argued. But here I am, thirty minutes later, going, I don't understand why you're so upset. Mm-hmm. Still,
0: that's, <laughs> that's an alarming. Let me say this, and I, I really, I give you a, a lot of credit for for talking about this because I, I work with doctors and have for over twenty years. And I, of course, have the great honor of getting to know them personally, and so I'll know, you know, if they're in a, a tumultuous relationship or a toxic relationship, or there's cheating going on, or whatever it is. And they would never say the word. They would never talk about it because they would say, I would say, my God, it would be so helpful. If remember you went through this issue or remember when you were addicted to opioids, you know, how many people you could help. If you, if you shared that you too were human and that you as a human could actually make yes. mistakes or mix something because of love or because of uh, codependency or whatever it is, I really do believe that. And I remember distinctly the day that my husband asked me, um, He asked me, he said, aren't you afraid that people aren't going to work with you when you release your book because you work with such high-level professionals? I was like, oh, no. (laughs) And mostly because I knew of how many in my own life, in my own career, in my own business, you know, suffered through the same thing that all of us as humans are suffering through. And the more that we share it and the more that um, we tell it, it actually, to me, It screams how healthy you are versus the opposite. The people that can actually admit that they too have not had this perfect, especially in your field of mental health, you know, Um, and I have always been attracted when the one and I'll show this one more thing and I promise I'll shut up because this is about you. But I think this is a very important point. My um, father's EAP counselor asked me if I was having suicidal thoughts. And I said, yes. And only because he revealed himself to me that he had been a a heroin addict. And I think it's very powerful when we have people that can share their own uh, life issues. It will help so many more people, not the latter. So thank you for that. I want to thank you for that. I think it's very brave. And I think more people should do it. Thank you. So now I want to switch gears to grief. Okay. (laughs) Covering it all here. We got prison. We got narcissism. (laughs) And now we're hitting grief. So I love that you wrote this book. um, uh, And I'm so sorry about the loss of your husband. Um, The book is called Diary of a Young Widow. And my mom lost her mom on her wedding day. And this is many, many moons later. And there's not a day that goes by that my mother doesn't think or find some sadness about losing her mom. And so many people put this like time limit on how long somebody should be grieving. And and I hope nobody puts that time limit on me because I got my dog laying under my desk and I promise you I'm gonna be committing myself into some kind of rehabilitation center when he passes. So can you talk to me a little bit about how we as people listening to this show or watching this show can do better when it comes to dealing with people that are dealing with grief?
1: It's interesting. Yesterday, actually last night I did a live and it turned to grief because someone had commented they lost their mother to COVID. So right now, sadly, I think there's more grief than ever. And what I tell people is you're, you, there is no timeline and no one can tell you how to grieve. No one can tell you what's right. No one can tell you what's wrong. Grief is so personal to everybody, but experience it. Don't try to shove it down because it will come up. Maybe not now, but a year from now, suddenly you might break down. So let it happen, grieve. And if someone you know is grieving, allow them to grieve and understand that they're grieving and ask them if depending on how friendly you are with them, how close you are, hey, can I do a load of laundry for you? Can I do some grocery shopping for you? Because if you just ask if I can help you, people don't know we, and we don't wanna bother. But if you ask specifically, hey, can I do this for you or that for you? And allow people to grieve, acknowledge, especially now, this is a really hard time And even though someone may not have lost someone to COVID, it also does trigger other losses. Um, My friend, uh, my sister lost her father-in-law to COVID. And we started talking about our parents and the grief that we're going through. And so you kind of relive grief with every passing of somebody and allow that and don't discourage and don't dissuade. And don't ever, to me, don't ever tell someone get over it and you'll be better. You're gonna be better, you'll be better. And I tell people I am like me, I am not better. I'm different, Mm -hmm. I'm not bad, but I'm just different. So don't ever say I'll be better because my better is gone. Yeah. But that doesn't mean I'm bad. So we adjust and we move on unfortunately and we learn how to deal, but don't ever think that it's gone. Don't ever think that people are okay now. Just because up. it has gone. Right.
0: Um, I think I learned this lesson um, after 9-11. I had a very good friend who lost her dad. And I would, because we were uh, best friends at the time, um, I had all of our group of friends calling me and saying, I don't know what to say. And uh, I would say, well, please say something. Please yeah. don't. And and everybody feels this was very common for People not to know what to say, but I do think it is very important that we start to learn what to say and learn what not to say. So sometimes, um, and I'd love to hear your feedback about this, but sometimes I feel like it's it's good to say, "I don't know what to say. I just want you to know that I'm here," and um, and I be I never think to ask somebody if you want needed to go grocery shopping but I, thank you for saying that because now I will think about that what else can people do or what else can they say because you know I I watch what people say online um they're in a better place you know all the, the to me it's like a shit show man it's like yeah let me find the let me google some hallmark bullshit of what to say to you and really like what what do people want to hear what do people want to know from somebody after they've lost somebody to 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 COVID or whatever it is, addiction?
1: One of the things what I tell people is I know that no words are ever gonna change what you're going through and I can't say anything that's gonna make it better, but please know, like you said, please know I am thinking about you. Mm. And if there's anything and you need to talk as a friend and one thing that people are really kind of shy away from and are afraid of is, oh, let's not say the person's name or let's not talk about the person. And I know I want to talk about it. So asking someone too, do you want to talk about it? Mm -hmm. If you want to talk about it, I'm here. Because that's one of the things that I really, people would say to me, why do you keep talking about it? You already talked about it. It's like, no, I want to keep talking about it. So be there and listen and let them know. If you want to talk, honestly, tell me stories, Mm -hmm. tell me good things, you know, tell me whatever you want to tell me. I want to listen. I want to know. That's something to say, but honestly, you know, saying, I don't know what to say and I don't know what I can do. And I know I can't take the pain away, Right, but just know that I understand that you're, you're grieving.
0: I've heard somebody once said, don't ask the person to reach out if you want to talk because that person isn't going to reach out. Right. Right. What is it? What is something better to say than that?
1: I will say,
0: I think they want to, right. I think they're, they're trying to do their best. Like Mm -hmm. they want them to know that they're there, but they need to realize that like, most people don't want to bother you.
1: Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. And my, like when my husband died, when my mom died, a really good friend of mine came over and brought me some stuff, but then her friend's mom died. And her friend was my mom's age. And she was telling me about it. And I said, yeah, I can understand. She goes, no, 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 you don't understand. She was very close to her mom. And I was like, "Um, (laughs) I was very close to my mom and my mom just recently died and she was the age of your friend. And I'm not saying one is better than the other, but do not compare, do not say. Man, you know, I really went through it. So so if you want to help someone too, because yes, nobody wants to pick up the phone. We're feeling like crap. We don't want to pick up the phone, but now we have texting. So you can send a text. You can leave a voicemail and say, hey, I'm calling to check on you. Mm -hmm. And I'll, again, depending on how close a friend I am with them, I'll say, I'm going to call every day to check on you. Mm -hmm. And, you know, sometimes we'll talk, sometimes you won't want to, but I'm going to call you every day to see how you're doing. Yeah. And if you kind of casually know them enough that you can call, but not all the time, just give a call every so often and say, I just want to check on you. Do you need to talk? Do you want to talk? How are, how are you doing is a very loaded question because they may or may not answer. Right.
0: What's
1: but sometimes, you know,
0: what's a better yeah. question than how are you doing?
1: Right. I, I, it, like
0: what you said. I like what you said, Jody. I like what you said about, do you want to talk about blank? that person's name i do think it's really important that we keep their memory alive and i think most people do Uh, so we're empathetic to it like most people feel like oh i don't want to bring them up it's not like they're gonna forget they're not gonna forget the person that they love the person that they love is going to be with them forever in their heart and their soul so and i know that i learned this through especially i was very young when this happened um to my, my girlfriend's dad is that people go away after the funeral or after the wake and the family's there and you know it's like three days have gone and <laughs> we're done we're good yeah showed up so what is um I, and I think do you think it's okay the texting is okay you a fan of that yourself I mean I think it's a wonderful tool to be able to check in with the people that we love let them know that we're thinking of them
1: As long as they know the person that you're texting, they know that they don't have to respond. I mean, even a K is fine. We all hate the K, but even a K, whatever you can do that I want you to know I'm thinking of you and I am here. And if you don't respond after a while, then I'm gonna come and check on you. But it's easy because there's times where it's like, it's easier for me to just pick up the phone and say, thank you on a text than it is for me. Sometimes I'm too drained. I don't wanna talk. So at least, you know, I know when my husband passed texting wasn't really that big, but the text that I did get made me feel good that, okay, some people, even if they couldn't come or be here, they were still thinking about me. I, I was, because I was young and our circle of friends, no one had ever passed away. My circle of friends, literally, we would go out with these people every Friday, every Friday, the following Friday, after my husband died, they were off doing their own thing my life changed 180 degrees. I have maybe one or two friends that I, that Mm state because they all didn't know what to do, what to say. It was uncomfortable being around me because I was grieving and I don't blame them on the one hand because it is uncomfortable. You don't know what to do and don't know what to say, but they were my friends. So yes, people leave, people are gone. People are afraid of bringing up the past. They're afraid of you know, oh well, it's also uncomfortable for them if they knew the person, like I reminded everybody of my husband mm. and they didn't want that. And it was like great. Yeah. So, well, we all
0: have to do it better, right? These are yeah. hard things. <laughs> These are hard things. Um, but I think that it's it's great to have um a resource like you've provided writing your own story um and diary of a young widow is really um, helpful. People want to hear how somebody got through it, how, how people are, are functioning in their daily life, and then also what to do. And, you know, we really, we really learn the lessons sometimes, unfortunately, when it happens to us. And then we go, oh my God, I wish I had have been there for this one. I had no idea I was going to feel this way and I was going to be resentful because people didn't check in with me. Um, it's very difficult for a codependent. I'm a codependent. I'm a recovering codependent. So sometimes I'm a little too much and then I take on too much. So I, I'm aware of that. Um, but these things like therapy really, really help.
1: Yeah.
0: I mean, that's why we, we here at the broken road to mental health believe strongly in the road of therapy. So I want to say thank you. And um, we're going to put in the show notes every place that somebody can follow you we look forward to the future audible book that we might see down the pike you'll let me know yes (laughs) and um and I think it's great what you're doing on tiktok you're helping so many people so I encourage everybody to if there's a lot of people that are curious about getting help there's a lot of people curious about grief and narcissism you can just listen and watch and learn so much so I appreciate all that you do
1: thank you so much my pleasure. Thank you. So don't forget
0: if you mention that you've seen the show or listened to it on the podcast, mention Thai Technology and you will get three months for free.